Drishti is a company focused on improving manufacturing workflows using computer vision. A manufacturing environment consists of assembly lines. A line is composed of sequential stations along that manufacturing line. At each station in the assembly line, a worker performs operations on that item that is being manufactured. This type of workflow is used for the manufacturing of cars, laptops, stereo equipment, and many other technology products. With Drishti, the manufacturing process is augmented by adding a camera at each station. Camera footage is used to train a machine learning model for each station on the assembly line. That machine learning model is used to ensure the accuracy and performance of each task that is being conducted on the assembly line. Krish Chaudhuri is the CTO at Drishti. From 2005 to 2015, he led image processing and computer vision projects at Google before he joined Flipkart, where he worked on image science and deep learning for another four years. Krish has spent more than 20 years working on image and vision-related problems in addition to his time working on Drishti. In today's episode, Krish and I discuss the science and application of computer vision, as well as the future of manufacturing technology and the business strategy of Drishti. Before we get started, a few updates from Software Engineering Daily Land. Podsheets is our open-source set of tools for managing podcasts and podcast businesses. We have a new version of Software Daily, our app and ad-free subscription service. We're looking for help with Android engineering, QA, machine learning, and much more. The Find Collabs hackathon has ended, and winners will probably be announced by the time this episode airs. And we'll be announcing our next hackathon in a few weeks, so stay tuned. If you want updates on all of these various projects in the Software Engineering Daily world, you can check out the show notes for this episode. Chris Chaudhuri, you are the CTO at Drishti. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff. Describe a modern manufacturing environment. Basically, in a modern manufacturing environment, the first thing I want to point out is that in this age of automation, really speaking, a surprising percentage of manufacturing is still human-driven. In fact, there is a lot of mechanized activity going on there and everything is streamlined. However, the human touch is not eliminated at all. So, for instance, there would be a sequence of stations. There is a line which comprises of a set of stations. There may or may not be a conveyor belt moving from one station to another, but basically there is always one unit of work that gets transmitted station after station after station. There is typically three to five, six, sometimes 10. 10 is kind of on the large side, number of stations on the line, and the unit passes through all of them and emerges as a finished product at the other end. So, however, quite a large number of cases, there is a human being at every station who is performing the works at that station. So this is in a nutshell, and uh, just this is exactly where Drishti comes in, because we actually study the human being. In this age of automation, we are actually making the human more competitive. 
if that makes sense. I can elaborate on that. As you are studying the human, you need some method of collecting information on the processes that the humans are taking part in. How do you gather information about the manufacturing environment and its relation to the humans within it? Basically, we install video cameras on the factory floor. So typically, there is one camera per station. I just described the relationship between lines and stations. So we install the video camera, one looking at individual station. These cameras collect the video right now. They beam the video back to the Drishti cloud, which is where our deep learning engine sits. This deep learning engine. So the raw, the basic data that is is basically video and it is gathered via basically off-the-shelf cameras. We don't need any special cameras. Even relatively cheap video cameras would do. They collect the data and somehow uh, the data right now our deep learning engine sits in the cloud. The data is beamed back to the cloud. This is our neural networks slash deep learning engines, basically the AI brain of Drishti. Now works on these videos. Describe the state of computer vision for video. How sophisticated is it? It is beginning to get a lot of attention in recent times. However, the state of the art is much less sophisticated compared to, say, static image processing. Object recognition, in many senses, is a solved problem not so video interpretation. And in particular, what we one of the fairly complicated things we do is recognizing the action, what the human being is doing in the video. This is quite far from solved. Why is video interpretation so hard? There are several reasons. The first reason is that it is inherently more complex information. So a static image has only two dimensions and video is three-dimensional. So the temporal element, the third dimension is time. This third dimension, so everything has to be interpreted, you know, in this three-dimensional space. So that is the number one complication. So for example, there is this famous problem of, you know, If you are trying to, uh, in a static image, if you see a person grabbing a doorknob, is the person opening the door or closing the door? You know, the door is, let's say, in some middle state. Now, you can actually determine that from a video. You cannot make that call based on a single static image. Video has temporal information, which gives a lot of more possibilities, but also makes the... So in some sense, it is giving you more information. If you can process it, you will derive more wisdom from the video. On the other hand, just you know, making sense of it is inherently harder. If you have video feeds throughout your manufacturing environment, what do you need to derive from those video feeds in order to give meaningful enough information to make those workers on the factory floor or the manufacturing floor more productive? We derive a few different kinds of information. 
the one that maybe slightly uh, uh, not necessarily in this order, but I'll start with actions. So from the video, we recognize the actions being performed by the worker at the station. That is number one. Now, actions are not arbitrary. We know we have predefined set of actions that are relevant to that particular factory, particular client, and we recognize which one or more of those following actions are being performed. This helps in the following ways. Number one, we can emit in-time warnings about missed steps. Remember I said that we are making the human more competitive in the face of automation. So let's just pretend it's an automotive factory. A human worker is working there. We can emit a warning like, hey, buddy, you forgot to tighten that nut over there. Imagine if this warning is emitted right after the fact, it's almost trivial to go back, reach back and tighten that nut. On the other hand, if this automobile with the untightened nut goes out into into the world, you know, the further from the point of origin that you detect this mistake, the higher the cost is going to be. If it goes out all the way out on the streets, the cost is, it could even be human life. So, you know, missed step identification is one of the possibilities. Then we also detect what is basically known as a cycle. That is to say, you, you know, in a factory, you essentially do the same thing over and over again. So we measure the durations of each of these things. And that from that, we can derive a lot of analytics, which allows the planners to make calls like, you know, where is the bottleneck, how to speed up a certain line, why is this line slower than that line, that sort of questions can be answered. And finally, we also provide a search-like facility. So, you know, you can say, show me the video where so-and-so action was being performed or show me the video from 17th July, 2018. I believe that the hierarchy that you've laid out here is there's a manufacturing line at, on, the, on that line, there are stations, and at each of those stations, there is a number of actions that takes place. Is, is that a correct interpretation of what you've said? Yes. So there are, we recognized a fixed set of actions per station. Okay. Now, you can have the people within that manufacturing environment specify the steps of the actions that they are taking, they could associate those steps with videos of themselves performing those steps correctly. That mm-hmm. sounds like a complex but feasible training process. Can you describe to me the process of training a model for a given action? So essentially what we employ are supervised models. So we have human beings who watch the video and identify that which one of the predefined set of actions that are being performed in the video and they label the each individual frame of the video accordingly. Obviously, they don't go frame by frame. We have 
uh, in-house developed special purpose software to actually make it a lot faster. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what these people produce is a labeled video, which is fed into the into our neural networks. We have our proprietary models, and you know these do extremely well. To my knowledge, they beat the state of the art uh, in this. So these are proprietary. We have applied for patents and all. So these uh, neural networks then take in this training data and the model gets trained. And then, you know, as per standard machine learning paradigms, we just deploy it out in the wild and it starts recognizing. It starts uh, recognizing actions that it has not seen before. Actions, it, it expects to know them. However, uh, you know, it works on new videos. And, and how consistent is it from manufacturing environment to manufacturing environment? So if I'm screwing in a bolt on a, a tire, for example, not a tire, a, um, a car, uh, versus screwing in a bolt on a tank, is that labeled video stream, is it going to be the, the same in both of those applications? Or, or do you have to create separate models for tank bolts versus car bolts? No, it's not that fine grain. However, we are not at the situation yet where we can deal with have a single model tackle entire the world. So it's somewhere in the middle. In other words, several, quite often factories belonging to the same industry can be clubbed together. The needle is somewhere in the middle. It's not one model for everything, but it's not a separate individual model for every small task. Take me through the steps of a Drishti integration with a manufacturing environment. Yes, that is a fairly complex process, which is not just the artificial intelligence because there are plenty of other things at play here, right? So we the initial interaction is where our customer success folks meets the client and kind of learns what learns about the factory what are the uh, what are the actions to be that are relevant to them what are the actions they want us to understand what are the in fact the even before that they have to identify what are the some of the initial stations that we should work upon and it may be the whole factory or in some cases it's a subset of the lines or stations on which they exist and then camera installation would happen and then there is a little bit of data collection camera installation is followed by data collection where we just collect the video we don't do any analysis on them and the then our in-house labeling team sits with customer success and they also learn how to label them and we have very fast turnaround. So um, the data gets labeled. And then engineers, we have a small bank of models. This is the point where a deep learning engineer would get involved. The deep learning engineer would identify which one from our bank of models is most relevant to this particular scenario and would start training that model. In extreme cases, the decision might be 
to this we need a new model architecture none of the existing ones fit and but we are trying to minimize that as far for obviously we don't want too many models to manage and so then we train the neural networks on that particular scenario followed by deployment so and then uh, of obviously there is a little bit of work in the cloud another uh, set of activities that has to follow almost every time the customer would have a certain you know it restrictions so we have to comply with those also uh, sometimes the customer has privacy restrictions we comply with those as well and uh, you know we have to make sure that our video crosses the customer's firewall and uh, reaches our our cloud and we ensure end to end encryption which is why you know customer's data is totally safe with us there is no way anybody could steal even if they listen onto the video they wouldn't be able to make sense out of it you mentioned this this point in the process where a deep learning engineer is assessing the application type and the training set and trying to find which model that you have built within Drishti uh, would be a good fit for this application. Can you tell me more about how you pair models to given applications? It is mostly visual similarity. If a human being thinks the situation in which this model was trained that setting is very similar to the problem at hand then if a human being finds them visually similar the machine would also find it similar because it's all computer vision as a result if it looks similar it's going to work so it's mostly a matter of visually identifying the closest setting under which that model was trained. Do you use the cloud uh, only for the training process, or do you also use it for inference? So we are flexible. We could go either way. Right now, predominantly, cloud is used for both. However, there is nothing inherently restrictive in the technology to pin us one way or other. So it's not so latency sensitive in most applications that you would need to put the models in the manufacturing environment. That is correct. We are open to that. However, that opens up a fairly complex maintenance problem at hand. Think about it. If we deploy the model on the edge, then we have to have an army of people because things break down, right? Physical hardware breaks down. Uh, And we would probably have to maintain an army of people who just are ready to hop on the plane at any time because if the model breaks down, customer is losing data, uh, which is unacceptable. So that way, from a maintenance point of view, cloud makes more sense for a startup. In data engineering infrastructure like this, you need uh, probably a queuing system, a machine learning framework, uh, a set of streaming systems that you're using. Can you tell me about some of the infrastructure choices you've made? 
first the infrastructure choices in deep learning that has been evolving with time when we started we were mostly on cafe that is less of an informed choice rather than first of all tensorflow was it in its infancy at that point when we started and i personally was much more familiar with cafe coming out of google so our first models were based on cafe since then we have made a journey from cafe to tensorflow and the latest ones some of them are in pytorch we still have a mixed array of uh, mod- you know a mixed array of models in fact uh, one of the slightly curious things that none of us understands exactly how sometimes the same model architecture trained on tensorflow seems to be a few percentage points less accurate compared to the corresponding cafe model and since accuracy is golden in those cases at certain maintenance cost we have chosen to keep keep the cafe models alive so that is one set of choices we are certainly slowly moving everything to tensorflow uh, kind of environment so i have heard this issue that maybe not an issue but tensorflow is not necessarily the most performant uh, machine learning framework but it probably has the best documentation it has the best ecosystem around it it has maybe i don't know maybe the the best tutorials what are the reasons to migrate to tensorflow if not performance no it's not really performance uh, maintainability is one important reason and there are certain other reasons such as it's much easier to maintain a multi gpu model on tensorflow there are just more well defined apis it's much easier to take advantage of multi gpu models on tensorflow so that in fact has created that in addition changing the model is much easier which is to say its interface with python is a lot more well defined as a result let's say we want to try several variants of the architecture it's much easier to do that in tensorflow compared to cafe for instance you used a word maintainability what does maintainability mean with regards to machine learning models maintainability could mean a set of things among them so if if going forward sometimes what happens is my model there is certain change in the environment with which my model is not working very well i need to do either incremental training or i want to retrain and also i find bugs meaning bugs just happen right things that don't go according to plan i am hesitating to to use the word bug in this connection because this is not a program where so however machine learning bugs are different my model was not uh, is not properly designed or something changing anything is a lot easier this is what i meant by maintainability in a changing 
the architecture or the more uh, model uh, definition uh, slightly as as necessary to tackle a unforeseen problem with the kubeflow project we've seen a vision for tensorflow getting better perhaps continuous delivery maybe things that look like continuous delivery as applied to machine learning perhaps audit trails yeah that's the other thing i should have mentioned so the logging is immensely better so if you you know this machine is there out in the world and it made some mistakes when i wasn't even awake let's say i need to go back and change. it's much easier to hook up to uh, uh, you know instrument it for logging tensorflow is better at that too you spent almost 10 years at google you were also at flipkart for three and a half years and now you've started your own company there is a term google infrastructure for everyone so now that you've seen a, a few companies since google do we have Google infrastructure for everyone? No, I still miss the Google inf- infrastructure. <laughs> oh, yeah, but- for what? For what reasons? Various reasons. So, honestly, in Google, I mostly programmed in C plus plus, and you could do pretty much everything in C plus plus. Many of those things can only be done in Python or cannot be done. So, just take. You know, Python MapReduce is is very much slower, so performance is one issue. There were libraries for pretty much everything one could want to do inside Google. Here you have to mix and match. Uh, what if you so those set of libraries? Something as simple as I want to create a website with charts. There were in-house libraries for doing that. Much of them, Google is open sourcing slowly, but not everything. And sometimes the Google versions are a little bit ahead. What are the big unsolved problems in computer vision for video that are relevant bottlenecks to some fundamental things you would like to do in improving the manufacturing line? You are specifically talking about manufacturing line or generally unsolved problems in computer vision of videos. Let's take let's take it as the as the second one. More general problems in computer vision for video. I would say the biggest thing that we the direction we want to take is look, there is a video going in front of each one of us, right? We make sense of that with that one single machine that nature has given us called the human brain. We don't have a special video for interpreting what's happening on an automobile manufacturer versus what's happening on a sports arena. No, there is one single machine that is taking care of it all, right? Interpreting all possible videos that can be thrown at us. We are very far from there. If I train a video to, for, let's say, uh, surveillance, that same video probably wouldn't work. The same model wouldn't work on manufacturing floor. So this generalization of models is a big challenge. We are nowhere close to where we should, where we could be, and nowhere close to the human brain either. Is it important at all to be able to stitch together different videos? 
stitch together on sorry let's say we have we have two different videos in different areas of an environment do we need to be able to stitch together those different videos to do anything or can we just use the independent videos to get a, a independently get a, a macro view of what is going on in a given environment yeah that seems like an interesting question so as humans we do that all the time right meaning we if i am looking outside at the moment i'm seeing actually i'm seeing a boat moving across on the water now i turn around i see a person walking past my room i am able to pretty much seamlessly continue to interpret everything normal video uh, machine learning models would not be able to do this easily you know you would most likely have to i'm essentially harking back to the generalization point that i made a few minutes ago uh, you would need to actually switch models intelligently you have to know upfront that the previous model was supposed to interpret natural scenes whereas or or some water scene and the other video is uh, suppose other model is supposed to recognize human activity in future one could envision a situation where the model trains on stitched videos and learns when to switch the mode of interpretation and in, in, in human vision we we're doing this constantly in real time we have two eyes and our eyes acting individually are able to give us a single field of vision to what extent do you take uh, inspiration from the human biological system for processing vision so that particular thing is called stereo vision remember though that our two eyes take in two sets of images but inside the brain they get combined into a single image this is what the stereo system there are organisms with, which don't do that i think frogs and toads have I'm, i'm trying to remember long forgotten biology lessons i think they don't have stereoscopic vision but humans and higher mammals have this so there is basically in our brain a single video is playing it's not like two videos don't coexist in our brain they get fused into one video in some sense the collection of the data may be stereoscopic but ultimately we are trying to do what the human brain is going to do which is to say post the image collection level uh, when it reaches the human brain it is already a single video stream and that is what we are trying to mimic with computer vision so uh, we don't specifically pay much uh, don't do much with stereo vision there are systems that work with that but we are not one of those i took a biology class one time where where vision was discussed a bit and the way in which your eye and your brain uh, process image imagery and uh, and turn that into meaning was was really complicated and and very hard for me to to fully understand even to the extent that that we as as scientists actually understand it uh, is it going to be important for us to actually figure that out end to end in order to get human quality interpretability or do you think we can take a different path 
Yeah, now we are on very subjective grounds. I would. I completely agree. I completely agree, and we'll we'll return to uh to to more applied areas shortly. I just wanted to get your take on this. I will be happy to give you my take. I honestly don't believe there is any need to maintain fidelity with the human vision system. We may take certain interpretations. It's not even very clear whether. I'm not fully convinced that uh, modern-day deep learning systems exactly mimic the human brain. We have found a certain... Nobody knows what's exactly happening in the human brain. We have a certain guess. In fact, the layered backpropagation, is there a parallel in the human brain? I don't know, at least. So my take is, let's not over-index on that. Instead, what works is the best way to go. All right, I'm with you. We we have kind of glossed over what Drishti actually does to improve the worker's e- experience. We 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 gave the example of something is moving down an assembly line and uh, a worker tightens a screw and then the thing uh, that they're tightening the screw on moves further down the assembly line and then Drishti alerts the user that oh, you know, you 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 probably should have uh, tightened that a little bit more. What are some other ways that your technology improves the modern manufacturing line? So we also take very detailed time and motion study like analytics, right? So we know how long the cycle lasted, how long each action, what is the duration of each action. So we can generate various analytics on these things, which in turn enables the uh, factory to basically identify bottlenecks. I'll give you a simple example. If we know, let's say there are there are 10 actions to be performed, we distribute it uh, in uh, 5 plus 5 in two stations. Now, all these actions are not equal. As a result, and this is an assembly line. Now, let's say the second station has disproportionately heavyweight actions what will happen is the first station worker would finish and the second station worker would not be finished so basically there would be accumulation in between these two stations and this is uh, classically known as an unbalanced line what that would do and the entire line moves at the rate of the slowest station on the line consequently unbalanced line is making the entire line slower now it is the right corrective action would be to move one of the or one or more of the actions. So redistribute the actions. We can help uh, with our technology. We can help actually do that rebalancing. That's another way. The CEO and one of your co-founders, Prasad Akela, he built the world's first collaborative robots. You have a background in computer vision. Describe the division of labor between you and Prasad. So, yeah, I feel this is one of the ways in Drishti is a very potent, powerful combination. Prasad is the expert on manufacturing. I understand, on the other hand, artificial intelligence and videos. And this is why our combination is powerful. We, this is not... You know, it's very hard to find both of these skills in the same person and even a pair of people like that is not so easy to find. 
you know, apart from the chemistry between us and everything, basically he uh, he is the vo- voice of manufacturing. He understands the client and he interprets the business problems. My role is to convert them to bytes. Did that make sense? Uh, basically, uh, basically take the probably not fully specified or very loosely specified business definition from there to all the way to the bytes. This is where I come in. And my team and everybody, all the the entire engineering in Drishti. We have a very talented team here. So this whole team together, we convert that to bytes. The business vision comes from largely from Prasad and his accompanying product management team. When you were starting the company, did you and Prasad write the first lines of code or did you just lay out the theory and the vision for the company and then start looking for people to program? No, I have written code. Uh, I have written uh, quite a bit of the origin. So, so for instance, uh, I'll, I'll, so I have trained some of the first prototypical models. I wrote in C++ the very first uh, even the labeling software, the very first version that we wrote, the engineers later threw it away. But the very first version was written by me. Even now, I try to code whenever I get some time. It is hard, getting increasingly harder. However, I I love to do that. It's almost part of my identity. Completely believe you, and and I sympathize with that uh, identity. Are there areas of the code code or areas of the problem that you actually feel you understand so much better than than anyone else that that it is actually you are a like a critical i guess a critical piece of of the programming team or 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 is it uh is it more like a theoretical understanding that you have and that's your your critical role at this point i think it's closer to the latter in other words, so it's not 100% on either camp. Uh, either It's not like 100% in the uh, either end of the spectrum, but I would be closer to. So I'm pretty much involved in every algorithmic brainstorming that happens. Mm, so every pretty much most algorithms, model architecture, even uh, database architecture, I would be involved in the brainstorming slash discussions, giving suggestions. Uh, not all of them are correct. Some of them are stupid. But I do uh, constantly give my opinion on things. And so that is one way things are shaped. And the other, uh, so essentially that's one thing. And the other is, prioritization. Sometimes I try to see the abstractions among things. So, you know, if you build A and you build B separately, they would fill two things, but I could build C, which pretty much with little modification could serve both as A and B. That sort of abstraction capability is another thing where I try to contribute. How far are we from a robot that can sweep the floor? Uh, you know about Roomba, right? I do. So, I, I'm actually actually I'm considering buying one right now. Like I, maybe you can advise me on that purchasing decision. 
so I purchased one uh, many years ago, you know, early 2000 or something. I don't remember the exact date. Uh, I was so excited. I didn't really need a several hundred dollar broom at the time. <laughs> Uh, but just to like, I feel this sort of thing needs to be supported. I purchased one many years ago. I and it worked for me. Uh, it sometimes got stuck under the bed, uh, but it worked for me, and it was even smart enough to not fall down the staircase. So uh, we are not that far away from that, right? For practical purposes, it works. And I have heard recent versions are even better, much better, actually. I only have experimented with a 20-year-old version or maybe 15-year-old version. Well, and as you were watching it operate, could you see kind of the state of of machine learning in in any of its actions? Did you see any ways in which, you know, it, it, it was unable to solve problems it should have been able to solve? So, like I said, I haven't used the latest versions. In fact, I, I'm not very sure how much machine learning was in the one that I saw. So, I wouldn't be able to comment very coherently on Roomba per se. However, I don't believe, I would say, my if somebody really sat down to create a very nice, smart floor sweeper, it should be possible. You should be pretty close to able to build something close to ideal just floor sweeper remember we haven't tried to do the generalization problem at all but floor sweeping it should be doable now now if you also want this thing to pick up unwanted objects from the floor making sure it does not trash dollar bills but it trashes trash paper that becomes a harder problem now this is a, this is another question you may not have any insight into, and if you if you want to pass on it, you totally can. Do you have any perspective for how long it'll be till we have like a, a like a, a flying version of that, like a drone that would fly around your house and would kind of vacuum things up, and maybe it's got like a voice assistant, or do we even want flying drones in our house? Yeah, why not? I took the second question first; it seemed easier. I am not one of those people who feel threatened by technology, you know, just because something is very different from my existing experience doesn't make it necessarily bad. So flying drones fall in that category, right? They um, are going to offend my sense of, you know, stability in some sense. However, that is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, I can I can imagine a vision in which, beyond just making the human on the production line more productive, you start to make robots that work in collaboration with the humans and and make the humans even more productive, or 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 create new new manufacturing roles altogether, or just eliminate manufacturing roles that are that are dangerous and and uh, you know only. Uh, capable of being done by somebody who could just as easily do something else. So you wouldn't be subtracting from the labor force. I can imagine, obviously, a path to building robotics. Wh- when will you know that you have uh, kind of enough of a uh, enough of a company, enough of a set of things that you're doing that you can comfortably start to move into building robots? Yeah, boy, that's a very hard question to answer. It's not entirely obvious to me that we even 
want to totally graduate uh, to change into making robots right now we are betting that human beings are very important to the manufacturing process and we like i said are focusing on making the human more competitive and i honestly believe the world is going to be like that for quite some time to come so i'm not very sure if we have a very clear path to totally going into automation anytime in foreseeable future tell me a little bit more about the low hanging fruit applications that you would like to to be able to improve in in the manufacturing environment what do you think is is kind of like up next in store yeah i can think of multiple so essentially trying to predict if the line is going to go as per plan like every manufacturing floor has a plan i am going to produce this many uh, units today or in the next one week and we can assess if the if things are progressing according to plan that is one obvious area to you know double click into or there are various uh, comparisons one uh, you know manufacturing is all about experimenting we could make those experimentation a lot easier if you weren't working on drishti what company would you start so one of the things i did consider was kind of a, a photo automated artificial intelligence based photo enhancement work so in other words a lot more automated so you may see this in my google work i so google photos in the background improves your photo in various ways now you one could go further along those dimensions so one of the things i actually did for google was auto rectification of photos essentially i wish i you could see my hands or the uh, you know listeners could see my hands but when you are holding taking the photo of a certain building or whatever if your camera is not exactly held in a right front to parallel position the parallel lines in the scene would actually become non parallel this is something we often see the building seems to the sides of the building seem to meet at the top now it is mathematically possible to fix this problem this is just an example but there are various ways you could enhance a photo and maybe a toolbox for the for the entire ensemble which doesn't even need a whole lot of interaction for the users this is one thing i did contemplate before this to happen if you were talking to policymakers and you're free to pass on this question also if you were talking to policymakers what advice would you give to them about regulating facial recognition right this almost touches upon google glass i would in general tend towards less regulation always honestly speaking if there is a lot of information in the public domain available about you your face is already in some sense the look of your face is public property everybody can see it so if i recognize and look you up in google what additional harm in, am i doing is not 100% there is a certain disturbing feeling to it but i believe we should not knee jerk push back on all such uh, uh, all such efforts 
instead more careful case by case evaluation is necessary so for example there is need for privacy but if you are in public space for instance it may be best to leave things un- unregulated that that's one way to i actually have not thought very seriously about this at any point to me it seems that uh, excessive regulation in anticipation sometimes does more harm than anything else i would also f- favor genetic research as opposed to clamp down on it for similar reasons i know we're up against time just a couple more questions manufacturing is one of the first areas where we have seen true adoption of augmented reality uh, i don't know to what extent but i've seen some really compelling applications of augmented reality do you have a vision for au- how augmented reality fits into your strategy and your vision for drift drishti by the way the word drishti means vision i don't know if it's, <laughs> Fair a, enough. it's a sanskrit word it means vision it seems somewhat relevant to this <laughs> okay hilarious augmented reality is very far from practical still is my view i have seen so google glass you know it it was a fantastic out of the world technology right it didn't go anywhere primarily because it's not a comfortable experience uh, you know first of all looking through the corner of your eyes like that uh, it gives e- even in factories i have often seen augmented reality device people take those things off after a while seeing it's me headaches the basic technology is no longer even should it be completely vision based like that i think this technology will go through several more iterations before it becomes a reality it does a lot of very cool things but when it becomes comes to a point where you almost don't know it's there that is when it's useful right we are very far away from there last question a very open ended i realize how else will society change due to computer vision that you believe is uh, is perhaps notable or underrated to meet a lot of improvement of healthcare is one thing i would like to see for certain so society could change so for example i i was thinking about this a few uh, while ago with artificial intelligence it would become a lot more easy to analyze say mri scans and stuff and that should reduce human errors by a very significant margin that is one day by the way i should have said this when you asked me what else you would if not drishti what would you have done uh, this is one thing i i should have said at that point because i did contemplate that anyway so so these are much lower hanging fruits in the long run you can easily have an utopian vision of a world which is run mostly by robots so that human beings are mostly on the beach having a great time that is the ultimate utopian vision right uh, meaning and i am aware of all the downsides to that but still uh, that's not a bad dream to have chris chaudhuri thank you for coming on the show it's been really fun talking to you yeah same here jeff wow